Perfect. Well, we'll start off with the simple part, which is, how do you pronounce this? And one of the interesting things about the Hebrew language is when it is written, um, they don't write the vowels. In a lot of ways, when we read Hebrew, we have to do some extrapolation. It's a fancy word of saying filling in the blanks. Because they speak it, they know how to spell it. So an example, Habakkuk would be spelled without the A, without the U's, and it would be a bunch of consonants strung together. So if you say Habakkuk, that's good. If you say Habakkuk, that's also great. Tomato, tomato, envelope, envelope. Um, the Lord knows. So don't stress if you're, you read the Bible and you're like, I can't pronounce that. It's okay. Pastor Ron has proven many times he can't. I struggle. I actually, just to be on the safe side, I Googled. And, but the gospel Google is not always correct either. I've learned that many, many times. Um, so to kind of start off, it is pronounced Habakkuk for me. And sometimes I will say Habakkuk because, you know, I feel like it should be an O-O there, sound there. Um, and it means embrace. It's kind of the idea of a heavenly hug or coming up someone putting your arms around them. It also is the concept of meaning like when you wrap yourself in a blanket, it's the same idea. It's kind of a powerful sense. Um, some other interesting facts about our friend Habakkuk is he probably taught between the years of 612 B.C. and um, 586-ish. Um, we don't know the exact dates. He doesn't actually give us any historical markers. He doesn't give us any names to kind of cross-reference to. But what we do have is that he does mention Judah, and he does mention Babylon and Babylonia, and he mentions Assyria. So we do know a little bit about what's going on in his world. And at this time, Judah is kind of like a little island, surrounded by a lot of enemies. To the southwest, they has Egypt. It's been their nemesis from day one. To the north is the Assyrians, conquering and now existing in the part of the land of Israel that used to be their neighbor, now being occupied by the Assyrians. And word has started to reach Judah that on the other side of Assyria was another world superpower slowly digging away at the Assyrians. And at the time, the Assyrians were unstoppable. And it was almost unfathomable to the people that there was another group of people tearing away at the Assyrians on the backside and soon realizing, oh, they'll be on our doorstep. And every single person in Judah had to wonder what is tomorrow going to bring. One of the neat things also about Habakkuk, he is the only prophet that does not mention or speak directly to a group of people. Kind of an interesting fact. And um, if you look in your program, I've put, there's two sides. I'm going to really ask if you can try to keep the bottom separate on the bottom portion, because um, that's going to be kind of some homework. And I'm so glad tonight, because it's going to be really relevant to what we're doing tonight. So if you can, write small. I'm known for writing really, really small. So hopefully you can make use of that little square. I'm not going to flood you with a bunch of information. But um, that's kind of basically Habakkuk in a, a nutshell. That um, beyond what he's written to us, um, that's all we know. It's three chapters long. Um, it's not one of the longest books, but it is definitely a powerful book. It's kind of in, we have three chapters and we have three sections. We have the first section being really kind of him having question and answer time with the Lord. He'd ask the Lord a question, and the Lord would answer him back. Then we have this little segment of the Lord giving him direction. And because of that direction, Habakkuk has a response 
And in that response, he does it in prayer. And in that prayer, we also learn another interesting factoid about Habakkuk is that he was probably musically talented or he might have been poetically not challenged. I'm poetically kind of challenged. I mean, we know this is because in verse, I mean, chapters three, you notice there's this little word, Selah. And if you are kind of know your Bible, you see it all over the Psalms, and the Psalms are songs. So the fact that he used that in his writing makes us kind of think he might have been artistically, you know, blessed. Um, but we'll get to that. So we have the three sections. I'm going to start off diving right into the very, very beginning in Habakkuk 1, verses 1 and 2. And it reads, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. The prophet had a burden. One of the things I really want you to hear today, that even the man of God and even the prophet and the pastor, including you, some days we have a burden. That we have seasons of darkness, we have seasons of hurt, we have seasons of complaint that the New King James Version uses is what, you know, Habakkuk's conversation with the Lord, what's going on in our lives. The real question is, what do we do in those seasons, and how do we get out of those seasons? And this very short three-chapter book gives us the answers to all of that. I've experienced them in my life multiple times because I've hit valleys, I've hit mountaintops. And I've also hit valleys again, and I've hit mountaintops. I've been sideswiped by cars, and I have not. And because of that, there is a huge part in this that is impactful to us. And the question is, when you read this, it is almost impossible to walk away from this book and not feel pushed towards something. And I think in some level, every single Christian and every single person on this planet needs a little egging, a little push into the heels, into the hindquarters. Habakkuk complained. Chapter, I mean, verse 2, it goes, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. His world was rough. Enemies on every side, and he's, he knows God's word. He knows that the Lord promises that if you turn from me, I will bring ruination to your doorstep. And it is probably pretty hard for him to not look at his world and think, ruination is coming. And I bet you anything that grieved and burdened his heart. Even for our own nation, as we read the news and the things that are going on in the world, I think many of us feel that same burden and that same grievance in our hearts. We've experienced things in our lives like, why did this happen? Why is this going on? How do I stop it? He continues through this answer, and the Lord gives him an answer. And then he asks another question, and it goes back and forth to the point even at the very end of chapter 1. He says, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay the nations without pity? He looks up to the Lord. He's like, are you ever going to stop this? When will this end? When will this come to a culmination or a fancy word of when will this come to completeness? Is there an end to it? Will Babylon, Babylonia move through the Syrians and then will we fall to them just as much? And then will even Egypt fall to them? And a lot of times, I want you to know that it is okay to ask the Lord questions. That Even I've had to ask those questions in my life, Lord, what do I do? 
How do I proceed? Where am I going? <laughs> right. <laughs> we say that, but I mean, it's really easy to get lost in all of that. But it is okay to have that burden in your heart. What is not okay is allowing that burden to stay there. We have a really neat transition. Um, and we don't see this very often, but in the Bible, um, we usually have nice little subheadings, and there's usually a new chapter at the beginning of that. But chapter 2 actually begins a whole verse above another heading. And every time I see that, that's always an eye draw to me, because I kind of feel like there needs to be either something below that, there needs to be an imaginary line say, this is a transition, or there's a transition above. Then one of the, this one case, it is a transition, in this case, above. Because Habakkuk changes. And he says something very important. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. There is some serious meat in this little verse because this is the reaction of what we should be doing in those seasons of darkness and what we should be doing to get out of them. The Lord did not wire you to sit in the penalty despair box. We can laugh at that, but you were not wired to despair. You were not wired to hurt. You were not wired to feel pain. You were not wired to stress and worry in this entire box of stuff. Anything that fits kind of the, the umbrella of kill, steal, and destroy, the Lord did not design for you. Satan, on the other hand, loves it when we sit in this little box. And at some level, Habakkuk sat in the box and thought, no, I do not accept this. Babylonia is Babylonia, Assyria is Assyria, but I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. The first thing that he says is, I will stand my watch. My question to you is when you're in this season, will you stand and your watch and set myself on the rampart? That's some work. To stand on the rampart means you're going to hold a shift. You're not just going to go up to the rampart, look, it is the rampart, perfect, let's go. To stand your watch means you're going to deliberately go to the place and stand your watch and wait and do. There's a sense of action to this. And set myself on the rampart and watch is the next word to see what he will say to me. I love the fact that when I read this verse that there isn't any doubt. There's no sense of, oh, the Lord won't come see me. There is a sense of absoluteness to this. I've always had to ask that question, you know, well, how do these great paragons and patriarchs and matriarchs of the Bible, you know, do the things that they did. Really, the biggest thing is that they expected that the Lord would do what he said he would do over and over and over again. And if you've never really read the Bible and you've just been reading along every single book for the last couple of weeks, you're seeing this pattern that the Lord says, if you come to me, I will speak to you. It's the principle of blessing. Every blessing the Lord gives is always attached to with a with, a when, or an if, and an and, therefore, or a but. Every single one of them and every single one of those price tags requires action on your part. 
And he stood there and said, the Lord will speak to me. There's no dot, 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 you know, maybe. Or dot, 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 he might speak to my neighbor who then will speak to me. No, it says very plainly, keeping that verse up there, that he will say to me. A lot of people will ask the question, well, what will he say to me? And you find that in the next sentence. And what I will answer when I am corrected. This word corrected doesn't mean like, don't do that. No, I said blue. Really what it means is kind of like is to change a course. Or to correct something doesn't always necessarily mean that it was bad. It just means we're changing. So what will I answer when I am corrected? There's an inference here that the Lord will speak and there will be a requirement of some action on the other side of it. And in this book, starting in the next couple of verses, the Lord answered me and said. When I said there was three sections to the book of Habakkuk, this is where we get this little tiny section of the Lord giving direction. This direction is really kind of boiled down in the first verse. I mean, verses 1 and 2, and then kind of, you know, unfolded by the Lord in the following verses all the way through the book. I mean, through the chapter. But in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. The Lord is giving us some very important directions in this. And those of you who say, I'm feeling directionist, I'm feeling dry, and I'm feeling kind of wonky, out of sorts, turn sideways, use all the words that come to mind, confused, the thing I would challenge you is, is, first of all, go to the Lord. Go to the rampart. And the Lord said, when you go to the rampart, I will speak to you. And when I speak to you, he gives us another set of instructions. And the first of those is, is write it down. When you go to the Lord in prayer or in reading, he will speak to you. And a lot of times it's in a vision or it's in a word. And just as quickly as it came, it can quickly leave. And I also want to put the cautionary that Jesus even taught this, that immediately the dark one will come and try to steal the seed. Or it will steal the word in some translations. That's one of the reasons why I think the Lord said write it down. He also knows that I think he knows our finite human mind. I can't even remember my internet password that I set up for my little router when I needed it. And I'm like, oh, I use this all the time. How did I forget it? And so just, he knows if it's, you can't keep track of that. I always assume that people like, the Lord works with you all like he works with me. He's like, we're going to make sure you remember this. Write it down. I'm giving you permission when the Lord speaks to you to write in your Bible. It's just paper. And sometimes you might want to go back and think, hey, I remember reading that a couple of months ago, and that really impacted me. Write it down. I'm a huge advocate, even though I'm not necessarily the best at this, in the discipline of journaling. When you spend quiet time with the Lord, write it down, the things that he's speaking to you. That way, when a couple of days go by and life happens, and then you're like, oh, you can go back to that. Write it and make it plain on tablets. I always, when I looked at this, I was like, well, what, why would the Lord say that? Like, write it plain. One of the things I learned quickly in college is that notes are only good if you can read them later. 
When you're hanging out in a comparative vertebrate anatomy course or you're hanging out in a foreign language course and you're learning Japanese and you've got what looks like chicken scratch, then you think this is supposed to be a word. It might be good if you could read that. I believe at some level that Satan has started to attack our language in the inability for those of us to read and to write. We are so dependent on these things that I think that we've lost the ability to read and write. It's dangerous. I'm hoping maybe I'm convicting some people. Pen and paper won't kill you. It's not archaic. And it does take practice. I do remember distinctly in third grade struggling with the letter Q in cursive. Like, what is this? This doesn't even look like a Q. And it's okay when you first start writing that if it's not perfect, I give you permission, it's fine. But keep doing it. I always say a lot that practice makes natural. Write it plain for though he who reads it. For the vision is yet for a point in time, but in the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries is the third thing that the Lord would tell us. Wait for it. So many times, and I am totally as guilty as this as anybody else, wait for it. It was very hard once I made the decision and I also accepted the decision to go into missions. I'm like, let's go today. Let's go, Lord. I'm ready. You called. I'm answering. Let's boogie. Let's go. Exactly. But it's all on the Lord's timing. You're right. If I went exactly when he did, I probably could have muscled it together. But I'm waiting on the Lord's perfect timing. Do I know what that looks like? Absolutely not. But when I read this thing exact verse, it will not lie and it will not tarry. It will surely come. There is a huge difference, like I said, between accepting a decision and making a decision. We can make many decisions. But accepting it is a little bit different. One of the reasons why when you write something, it gives it power. It becomes a little bit more closer to truth and it being reality, than it just in your head. He also says, make a plain so that he may run who reads it. There's an inference here that it should be shared. Some of the calls and the dreams the Lord has put in your heart is designed to be shared. And the reason why it's designed to be shared is because that group of people will sharpen you and keep you to it. I would challenge you, those things that the Lord has called you to, write it on a mirror. We all have bathrooms. We all shower. And I know at some level, sooner or later, we all look at that same mirror. Also share it with friends and family. But there is a some level that says, and he may run who reads it. There will be some people who will be freaked out by the things that the Lord will tell you when you go to the rampart and think that you're crazy. I have an entire family who thinks I am absolutely lost my rocker that I'm willing to move to a frozen island. They don't get it. Some days I don't necessarily get it. Sooner or later. Back on the Lord's timing because though it surely come, it will not tarry. I've learned something recently from some friends. You know, this concept of, when first she gave it to me, I'm actually like, I actually get this. I'm learning the language. I'm very excited by this. It's kind of an idiom, which is basically it goes, is that droten brogar fire thoth sem han Pantar, which basically means the Lord pays for what he orders. For those of us that are in the service industry, he is not going to walk into your station, order some food, and walk out on you. That's basically what this means. 
What he orders, he will pay for. I know a lot of times we are scared to dream because we're afraid, how's it going to happen? Stop worrying about how the, how's it going to happen? Habakkuk sat in a world knowing that his nation would be ripped to a thousand shreds. But he also knew there was a promise on the backside of it throughout all the prophets that the Lord said, I will bring my people back and I will bless them and I will magnify them a hundredfold from when they thought they were living big. And he was looking at that promise, probably at some level scratching his thinking, I don't know about that. We are talking about the Babylonians. And the Lord's answer was like, write it down. I am way bigger. Right? I am bigger than the Assyrians, Babylonians, and everything else. And he said not only that, that he will run from it. There are people that will run from the vision. And he says, wait for it. There are some things that are meant for right now, and there are some things that are meant for tomorrow. We don't know the mathematical value of tomorrow. It could be one day. It could be one week. It could be a year. It could be years. It could be a lot of years. Because he says it will not tarry. Five things to really walk away from is the first thing is to stand, which means you need to do something, which kind of infers getting off, as Pastor Ron says, your southern hemisphere and do, doing something, to stand. There's some action behind that. Not only that, to stand, but to watch. This Wednesday, a lot of you got to experience the Lord speaking to you, maybe for the first time. It's kind of neat. He speaks to all of us, and I'm Hopefully I made that point clear with the help of the Holy Spirit because he will speak to you if you give him the time. Not only that, to write what he says to you down and to share that with those that you know you can trust. And then the third thing is something that we did already this morning and I feel like it's really hard to do this. I felt like I almost wanted to do the sermon in reverse, which is to sing it or to worship it. That brings us to chapter number three. Where in verse 20 of the second chapter it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So he says, let's be silent for a second. But then he starts praying. I thought that was kind of an interesting transition. He just said to be quiet, and now you're not being quiet. So which one is it? Actually both. To stand and wait and be silent. And then when the Lord has spoken, has commanded you to, and you're doing, to sing. Chapter 3 starts a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. There will be some fear when the Lord speaks to you to do some of these mighty things that he's called you to do. I look at some of the leaders in this room and I know the things that he has spoken to you and you're like, I am freaking out. I can't do this. And the Lord's like, you're right, you can't do this. But I can with you. And, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. I think this message is very tailored to a very specific group of people that is my age and upward. That you kind of think, oh, man, 40, 50, 60, 70, I'm done. The Lord can't use me anymore. And he says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. If you are in that group and you're feeling not on the revived side, feeling dry, feeling empty, feeling purposeless, feeling directionless. This is a great place to start. Lord, revive. 
That word is kind of like that idea of throwing water on a plant and watching it turn from a withered stick to something that flourishes, that thrives, that can produce some fruit. Revive your work in the mist, and in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That even in those dark seasons, don't forget that you're right. This might be the bottom of a valley, but it's not the end. Without the darkness, you don't know the light. Without the peak, you don't know the valley. Jesus even said, your faith will be tested. Don't think signing up for Christianity was all gumdrops, cupcakes, and roses. No. It will be tested. Because in that test, it will speak volumes to the world around us. Even though Habakkuk did not write directly to a group of people, he has. And just like your life story was not necessarily thinking that it was designed to be written to the masses, it was just written for you, it will also speak to the masses. It will speak to those around you that will watch you on how you weather those storms. So my challenge to you is the bottom half. Stu, why would you leave the bottom half empty and blank? Well, obviously, I left it for a place for you to write. Because that was one of the things the Lord told us to do in this mighty book, to write. I challenge you to go home. Now that I know what's going on tonight, don't tarry. Go home, carve out about 30 minutes to an hour, and start practicing these things. Practice this and say, Lord, speak to me. I promise if you say, Lord, I'm coming to your rampart, I ask that you speak to me, he will answer you. He will give you visions. He will give you dreams. He will give you sensations on the inside. And as soon as that happens, write it down. Because if not, the enemy will instantly come and steal it from you, turn it, distort it, and smash it all around. Mangle it like my car. Because tonight, we're going to worship again. And there's nothing greater in someone's life, obviously, other than bringing someone with you and experiencing heaven. But when you worship on this side of heaven with a vision in your heart and a dream in your heart that you know is from the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm ready to go. I'm willing to do. I'm available. Send me. There's nothing, I don't think, more powerful than that. When your life is in tune with the flow of where the Lord is moving, And if you're sitting here feeling that, oh, my life's not in tune, I gave you the tuning fork. But it's up to you to take it, to bang it, and to move those strings and get it into place. I can't do that for you. I wish I could. I wish people would have done it for me when I was in my season of darkness, when I sat in the penalty despair box. But only you can do that. All I can do is point to you to the one that made it possible. I can't replace him, and I never would attempt to try. What I can tell you is hopefully maybe modeling this and exemplifying it, that you see that, and like, I want that. I want that crispness, that narrow, angrily focused beam, that drive, that passion. I want that back in my life. One of the only ways you get that is through obedience. And the way you obtain obedience is hearing from the Lord and doing what he tells you to do is the only way. After the service, if 
you've never been baptized, that's like another great place to start. Don't worry about getting wet. We have change of clothes. It's the first step of saying, Lord, I'm willing to be obedient. I've never professed before a group of people that you are Lord, as you've called me to do. I'm willing to get wet for you. And I'm willing for you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Give me that voice that will tell me left from right, north from south, east from west. Promise you it will be a decision that will forever transform your life. And when you find yourself not necessarily in Iceland, but in the place that the Lord specifically wired you for and created you to do, there is nothing better than that. We talk about peace a lot in our church over the year, and one of the only ways that you're going to find it is when you're in line and obedient to the call of the Lord on your life. And none of you are exempt from it. Every single one of us, not just some of us, and you just happen to be in the crowd, so therefore you have it. No. Even if you're the only person on this planet, the Lord would have put a call on your life, and he would have also done what he did on the cross for you if you were the only one on this planet. So when we say, like, he loves us, you're right. Sometimes I sing he loves me to remind myself that you're right. I can say us because I'm part of the us crowd, and that's awesome. But he loves me, that Jesus loved me so much that he would die on the cross, that he would leave his word with me with markers and footprints and fingerprints throughout history saying, I am the creator, I am the great I am, I am holy, and I am powerful, and I am mighty to save. I can save you from your despair. I can give you vision of hope to a future that you can't even think of. But it is a future I have perfectly knit together just for you. So today, I would really hope that you take this challenge seriously. Don't put it off. I'll do it tomorrow. Don't do that. As soon as you're done eating, carve out that time. Find that quiet place, whatever your rampart looks like. Pastor Ron, it's a closet. For some of you, it might be that nice favorite chair in your living room. Some people, it might be, for me, that spot is my kitchen, my dining room table. I usually eat and read there. That's my, that's my spot in my house. If I say the spot, that's my spot. Wherever it is, find it. And spend that time with the Lord and go to the rampart. And I give you my word because his word says it is, capital W word says, I will speak to you. And those words will bring everlasting life and water to some of the dry places. And those bones will come together and stand up, live, and dance. Yes, you all to stand with me. I hope this resonated with you. I hope you come back tonight and really commit to that. Let nothing stand in your way. Because I promise you, Satan will try to stand in your way. He will throw all kinds of things at you. Do not tarry, do not wait, because the Lord does not tarry and delay for you. Lord Jesus, we come to you, our King of kings and Lord of lords. We exalt your name, and we recognize that all blessings come from you, that all things were done through you, by you, and all of the heavens and the stars and all the rocks sing out to you, and we want to do that today. Holy Spirit, I know that you're moving in here. Speak to us. Our hearts are open. Our ears are open. And we want the eyes to see and the ears to hear that subtle call, that subtle voice that is yours. And we want to learn to be able to pull that subtle voice out of all the voices of the world. 
touch us, heal us, bless us. Lord Jesus, we receive so much because of what you did on the cross, that you are indeed the Messiah, that you died on the cross, rose three days later for us, that you are the perfect sacrifice, the lamb. And as we look at our world, Lord Jesus, only you can fix it. In your name, and we as a church, and we as a community, ask in your name that there's healing to our land. That there's all the enemies that are out there, the Babylonians, the Democrats, the Republicans, the whole nine yards, are nothing compared to your name and nothing compared to the power that you've left in us and the authority that you've given us. Let us walk in that today and cling to you, our perfect Savior, the, the light of the world and our hope and our peace. And all of us as a church agreed in Jesus' name and said, Amen. Folks,